Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more of where this came from, head to a thing or two hq.com to subscribe to our newsletter and sign up for Secret Menu, our jazzy new hub for members only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything really, leave us a voicemail at 833 632 5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. A reminder also, we are offering free ad reads to Black owned businesses. Hit us up at podcasts at a thing or two hq.com to find out more. Before we bring on our guest today, who is the host of the podcast we met at Acme and talked to her all about dating, mm-hmm. we need to talk about something that like is very not dating adjacent, which is Babysitter's Club. Truly not dating adjacent. Although I will say one of the things that watching this, the new Netflix TV show has brought up for me was remembering that while Mallory or while Marianne was never like my character, I was always endlessly jealous of her steady relationship. That was like what stood out to her about me. Marianne and Logan was was what you were there for. I see. Yeah. I I was just like always so jealous of that. I was like, oh my God, she has like a serious relationship. And you know, (laughs) yeah, no, I didn't as a 13 year old, it was incredibly serious. Yeah. Committed. Yeah. Yeah, I was really into that. Um, so yeah, Netflix has this new Babysitters Club TV show, and it's wonderful. I love that you're like introducing this. Like people listening to this podcast like, might not know. Might not know. Who knows? Might not know. Can we talk about our relationship with the books? Um, yes. Did you read them, and and when, <laughs> and how many? <laughs> I it was a leading question, but yeah, I did read them. I don't know how many except to say a ton, enough that my mother raised the issue with my fourth grade teacher at a parent-teacher conference because she was like, what do we do about the fact that that's all that Claire reads? To which my fourth grade teacher was like, you just be happy she's reading. That's what you do about it. And like, don't worry about it just being Babysitter's Club, but definitely made me feel guilt and shame around it. I know that I was reading it as early as second grade and I'm guessing first grade because my in second grade, I met my like elementary school best friend, Claire yeah. Gordon, who was the goddaughter of Anne M. Martin. And Marianne Saves the Day, which is like the second or third book in the series, is dedicated to her. And Claire Pike, who is Mallory Pike's little sister, right. um, is named after this Claire. So I know that I was reading them at least between second and fourth grade, but I don't know. I can't remember beyond that. Do you think Anna Martin has a lot of godchildren or just this one? If her friends are 
smart, then she has tons. Yeah. You know, because if right. Anna Martin were my this friend, is, she'd yeah. be the godmother of my kid. <laughs> no offense to me. Um, <laughs> yes. No offense to you. None exactly. taken. Um, I also read a ton of them. There was no criticism of my reading of anything, probably partially due to the fact that my brothers did not read uh, as an extracurricular activity at all. In fact, there was this like, during the summers, my mom enrolled us in some like library reading program thing where you had to like read a certain number of books or like log, you know, something like that. And my brothers had to read 20 minutes a day and they would set the kitchen timer and they would read until exactly when the timer. <laughs> oh man. So there was no critiquing of what yeah. reading material I right. chose at all. Something that you and I have talked about over the last few years that, that we haven't gotten to really articulate in this context is that the Babysitter's Club was like the original like baby entrepreneurs, the original work wives, the like yep. the OG. Like you can't talk about Babysitter's Club at this point in time without thinking about female entrepreneurship. No, absolutely not. It was so inspirational and aspirational in that way. And you and I both took babysitting really seriously. We talked about this when we talked about the decision whether or not to have kids, but... Yeah. We both talked about, yes, we were fanatical babysitters, yet never, that was never about like wanting to be moms or, uh, or really care for children at all. Yeah, at all. It was about (laughs) being taken seriously. It was about being a professional. It was about being given responsibility. I like gave out, I put out flyers all over the neighborhood and then we'll get so anxious if we'd ever like leave the house for more than a day at a time that I'd miss a call from someone who wanted me to babysit for them, which would be like, such horror, such FOMO. Yeah. Um, no, fair. Claire, fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, in this Michelle Ruiz article for Vogue.com, I've been reading all of the like what Babysitter's Club means to me content mm-hmm. that has surfaced. Um, and Michelle Ruiz, who is an excellent writer, um, was talking about basically how before there, before people were like, I'm a Carrie, um, they were like, I'm a Stacy or I'm a Dawn or whatever. Yeah. Um, who were slash are you? Has it changed? Great question. I don't know that I I felt that I was anybody, but I know that aside from being bad and or being academically challenged, I thought Claudia was the coolest. Like yeah, I was just yeah, yeah, yeah. very envious of her clothes and her artistic capabilities. I would have guessed young you would have been mostly a Claudia. Yeah, I definitely thought Claudia was the coolest. I definitely was liked that Christy was in charge and very much like liked you know, always was running for class president and all of that and liked the sort of in-chargeness of Christy. But I don't think I ever super identified with one over the other and felt like I was her. Um, I didn't really either, but I thought Stacy was the coolest. Oh, yeah. Um, that makes which sense. Gives, which gives some context. Very cosmopolitan. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, yeah. in ways that I was definitely not. Mm-hmm. Like all of that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also just liked the handwriting and mm-hmm. definitely... The handwriting was great. I dotted my eyes, not with hearts, but like with little, like with circles, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, a riff on the heart for quite some time. (laughs) And when I was in grade school, also signed my name with a star over the eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very cosmopolitan. That's (laughs) that's how you know. Incredibly, incredibly, super sophisticated, super, Um, super sophisticated. One of the things that I was really shocked by was that 
I guess I just thought that by the time I was finished reading Babysitter's Club, that that series was like done or close to done. But Anna Martin was writing these books like into the late 90s, like when we were still in high school, These there were new ones being churned out. Well, it was presumably one of those books that was also written by a lot of ghostwriters, right? Like in the same way that all these Sweet Valley High books were. I don't think you so. You think she I was writing be, all of them? I could be wrong about this. I remember knowing that about Sweet Valley High and yeah. feeling like Babysitter's Club was like, Higherbrow literary material then because of that. Because of that. Okay. She wrote them up until 1990. And then they were, after that, they were continued by other writers with Martin. Okay. So she like would write them together with people. So yes, by the time... So she was like the showrunner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> On the books. This Wikipedia entry though is reminding me of another question I had, which is, did you ever read the Babysitter's Little Sister series? Um, I did but really only as supplementary material when I like couldn't get enough. Um, And I was, I was like trying to remember in watching the show, Karen and like that relationship and all of that, that stuff, which I couldn't really place, which means I don't think that I was so engaged with it. I I remember trying to read them for the same reason and I just couldn't get into them. Yeah. Like the spinoff just wasn't landing for me. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. Can we talk about the show? Yes. Um, and how amazing it is, basically. It's, I've never been more jealous of a 12-year-old's wardrobe. Fair, fair. The costuming is quite good. I mean, I to me, Claudia... Well, Claudia and Christy, I think, are among the most successful characters in the show. Who did you feel like just felt right right dead on for you? How you Christy. imagine them? Christy. Yeah, Christy's um, so good. Like, Christy just is... Yeah. It's, like, incredibly well cast. The looks are really landing for me. Mm-hmm. The out the like I think my favorite outfit of hers is when they're at Moosehead Camp and mm-hmm. she's wearing a like pullover hoodie with a turtleneck underneath, like mm-hmm. a, a white turtleneck. Because you know mm-hmm. the white turtleneck is like a yeah. classic Christy vibe, right? <laughs> a white turtleneck underneath and then like rolled up shorts that appear to have a drawstring waist of sorts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so we're doing layered long sleeves with a with a short. Yep. It's really no. good. <laughs> and I did a lot of thinking about like, huh, why don't I have a turtleneck that I'm wearing under hooded things? Like that's a look. And like, why am I not doing it? Which is really interesting because Christy's not meant to be a fashion plate, but her style is really speaking to what's happening right now. Absolutely. Um, what looks stood out for you? Really all of Claudia's looks. Um, she just looks so great throughout the entire thing. She has a Halloween costume inspired by the movie, The Birds, that is just chef's kiss so great <laughs> so, so incredible so yeah wonderful I really just like I, I I think in watching this I was realizing I don't see this age portrayed in television like at least not in the television that I watch and I guess mm-hmm. it's because I don't watch Nickelodeon or I, I don't know like I don't know where else I'd be getting this you see kids younger than this and you see kids older you see like you know fully formed teenage mm-hmm. like Dawson's Creek age kids yeah. but not no, I think, this age. I think that the kids this age are like, like you said, it's like ABC Family, Disney Channel. I think Wizards of Waverly Place, I get the sense yeah. was this age, but nothing that we've watched. Nothing that we've watched. Yeah. Um, and I just like how much they look and act like seventh graders. Um, totally. Like the, yeah. the thing that does not ring true is how seriously the parents take them. Um, as that, I was like, there's a scene where Stacy calls a meeting of all of the parents to explain 
uh, this video that has been distributed about her having basically going into insulin diabetic shock. shock yeah. 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 And all of the parents attend as if it's like a really important PTA meeting. It's a meeting that's being called by 12 year olds and being run by 12 year olds. And I was impressed by how seriously the parents were taking it. Fair, fair. Yeah. But I think, and I think I knew this reading the books at the time, but it is obviously coming back to me because of how it's portrayed on the show of just how many serious topics um, mm-hmm. are in the book. And, you know, it's about, there's so, there's like a lot of divorce, there's parental loss, there's of course diabetes. But then in this update of the show, you get a lot of like new topics that we weren't getting before. So we talk about Japanese internment camps and there's an episode um, where there, where Marianne babysits and um, becomes an ally for a trans girl. Yeah. Um, and like that, like just feels so core to the content, even though, you know, like, of course they're 12 and like their problems are like little problems hypothetically, but they're mm-hmm. not either. Yeah. Yeah. That was another scene. I loved the, the trans girl storyline and it was another scene involving adults that felt totally inauthentic to me because Marianne basically takes down a doctor and a nurse who are using the wrong gender pronouns for the little girl and gives this whole impassioned speech about it. And the doctors are like, totally, we're sorry. Thank you. And I'm like, oh, I wish anybody would react that that way. No, that part didn't land for me at all. But but her dad coming in and seeing her handling this and like standing up for herself, that part was like very sweet and and heartwarming. No, it's a really excellent show and really excellent to watch right now when you just need sort of a comforting blanket, really. Yes. Um, to just live in this world of Stony Brook and like live in the world of seventh and eighth graders. It's wonderful. I was doing some digging on the people behind the show. And so one of the writer, director, producers on the show is named Lucia Aniello. And she worked on Broad City, which is obviously another show about female friendship. Um, and she talked about basically the process of pitching this show and that it was her and the showrunner, Rachel Schukert, and then two other women. And that basically the four of them going around town pitching the show was like not unlike Babysitter's <laughs> Club, right. which just obviously spoke to me. And Rachel Schukert worked on Glow and started writing this show and thinking about it just as she had a kid and was starting to navigate, you know, but basically like finding babysitters and how like trying that is. Um, And the quote from this Hollywood Reporter article is, when I first attached to the show, I had just had a baby. So I had been introduced to this wonderful world of trying to find quality, affordable, reliable childcare constantly. One thing that occurred to me, and this was the breakthrough aha moment, was all of these tools that we have now are supposed to make it easier to make these things happen are actually making it harder. Yep. And I just like the... She like gets more into this idea that like, actually, this system wasn't broken. Like you could (laughs) call one number and people would pick up and they would commit to coming to your house. And like, that's amazing. Like, why don't we have that? Why am I paying for some weird service or texting nine people? And like, what's happening? Right, right. Yeah. No, I mean, Christy had a great idea. She really did. <laughs> she absolutely had a great idea. One thing I discovered when looking to see what else people were saying about this show is I searched for podcasts where people were talking about it. And I think it was a little too early because it just came out last week. So there weren't a ton of episodes about it yet, but there is a podcast called The Babysitter's Club Club, which is two men yeah. um, talking about every single Babysitter's Club book ever in order. Um, They were interviewed in this Michelle Ruiz piece for Vogue and Jack Shepard, who is the co-host, says that rereading the books as an adult reminded him 
what this book is really about and that it basically what shines through is the joy of making something with a friend which is just so lovely Today, we want to tell you about the Newsette, a free daily newsletter that serves up must-know news in tech, fashion, beauty, food, and more, plus a daily in-depth interview with one dynamic and accomplished woman. Thank Fortune 500 CEOs, movie stars, emerging fashion designers, frontline healthcare leaders, and more. Especially in these anxious times, the Newsette can be an uplifting part of your daily routine that's easy and fun to look forward to. Sign up today at thenewsette.com so you can start your day informed, inspired, and feeling a little bit better than you did when you hit snooze. That's T-H-E-N-E-W-S-E-T-T-E.com to learn more and subscribe today. Important question. Do you have access to our secret menu? Do you even know what our secret menu is? It's where you gain access to our members-only weekly newsletters that answer a lot of the questions we don't get around to in our regular Monday newsletter and podcast. Things like, where can I find a cute dustpan? And what products should I be using on my curly hair? And what are the best Instagram accounts I'm not following yet? Basically, it's our way of doling out the more, more, more a lot of you've been asking for. It's four bucks a month, which is, among other things, just about the cost of an order of animal-style fries. And the cost of your first month's membership goes straight to a nonprofit we're excited about. This month, we're donating to Black Art Futures Fund, who's giving out grants to support the future of Black arts and artists. Sign up for Secret Menu today at athingor2hq.com. That's athingor2hq.com to sign up for our secret menu. You'll get your first issue the following Thursday, and we promise it will be good, very good. Today's episode is brought to you by Womanly Magazine. Womanly Magazine provides accessible health information to women and non-binary people through visual and literary art. Through their print and digital content, they lift up narratives that are often neglected by the typical women's magazine. Subjects include discrimination in the healthcare system, intergenerational concerns, and physical and sexual health and expression. I was just reading an issue from them that was all about stress. And honestly, it was it was kind of like an intense therapy session just reading it. It was so impressive and really high quality creative writing, poetry, which I don't even normally like, but I actually really enjoyed the poetry, beautiful illustrations and artwork, and then a lot of really strong interviews with health experts. And I learned so much from it. I'm really excited about what they're doing. Womanly Magazine is distributed free to resource centers and communities around the country, and they are working to expand their reach in order to offer the publication in more clinics, health centers, and community centers. Womanly is currently available at select locations in New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Oakland, including Planned Parenthood NYC, Bridgepoint Health, My Sister's Place Woman's Center, and Marion House. To purchase issues of Womanly or to make a donation, head to womanlymag.com or find them on Instagram at womanlymag. We are so excited about this next segment and our next guest, Lindsay Metzlar, host of the podcast, We Met at Acme, which is all about dating. We, Whenever we solicit topics from our audience about what to talk about, we will inevitably always get someone who suggests that we give advice or just like discuss dating as a concept. We have shit to say. We, we have just nothing to say. <laughs> haven't been dating in a while and our husbands aren't that keen on us discussing our marital strife. So <laughs> it's not a topic like romance is just not something that we get into that often. So we're very excited to have an expert on the pod. And if Welcome. you want more of this, yeah, listen to We Met at Acme for lots of deep dives into dating. Lindsay, we're so excited to have you. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to ask you all the questions about your relationships. That <laughs> um, um, so like broad strokes, we want to ask you, what does dating during the incredibly weird time that is 2020 like? Like, what is the landscape? What does it look like? Yeah. So, I mean, right now for single people, it's tough because <laughs> if you didn't have someone before quarantine, I mean, you were basically, you were just so riding solo for, you know, what was it? What's it been? Six, seven months now? Yeah. Um, so it's it's been really tough. I got very lucky. I actually met my boyfriend two months before quarantine. But wow, I, you really timed this right. I really timed it right. Thank God. Um, but I have tons of friends who, you know, miss the the, the window <laughs> to cut off. Exactly. And dating has not been a walk in the park for them. Well, it's actually, it's literally it's been only a walk. walks in parks. <laughs> yeah, it's only a walk in the park. But it's tough. I mean, everyone's on the apps right now, but a lot of people aren't home where they're normally, you know, living. Like all my friends who are in the city are out with their parents in some suburb. And it's just tough. And then there's the virtual dating. Like I was doing some matchmaking actually in the beginning of quarantine. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny. But, you know, again, it's like you're meeting someone virtually and you don't know if you're ever going to meet them in person. So it's just different right now. And what about relationships like yours where you were at the two month or, you know, a few month mark, anything under a year, and then all of a sudden you're moving in together? How's that faring? It was absolutely nuts. I mean, I don't think like I'm the kind of person who, when they're in a new relationship, especially like plays it very cool. Like I'm like, I'm not available. I have plans. I have plans. Like I'm busy. I can't really see you. I'm busy. I literally got like the rug lifted and I had to just be like, Hey, like, you know, I have nothing going on. You have nothing <laughs> going on. Um, like, we can't play these games. So I guess we're going to live together. And I think that it was like, a real blessing in disguise because I'm not, I wouldn't have let my guard down in the way that I did. And like, it's like when you're living together, like it's like five months in quarantine is like three years in the real world. Yep. And so our relationship progressed faster than I think it normally would have. So what's your living situation right now? So when it first started, um, we were living together in my apartment in the city, in New York city. Um, And, you know, it was like this tiny apartment that we were living in. And now we are living with my parents, um, which was definitely a transition. And we couldn't couldn't do it in the beginning because obviously like, you know, it was too much. And um, so now we're we're living with my parents. So he's not only met your parents at this point, but he's lived with your parents at this point. Lived with my parents and my sister and her son. Um, So, and my grandpa, by the way. Incredible. Incredible. I'm loving this. It's like reality show levels of immersion. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, it's beyond like, I I wish that I had recorded some of, some of this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are there new rules emerging around basically quarantine dating? Like, you know, there, there are written and unwritten rules in general, I think, around, you know, how many Tinder dates until, or how many Tinder conversations until you meet someone in person, et cetera, et cetera. But this has all been flipped on its head now that we're not seeing people in person. Are you seeing trends in how people are treating, you know, at what point they meet someone in person, at what point they go inside with somebody new? 
Yeah, that's a great question because things like rules are out the window right now in so many ways. People are, first of all, people are having sex sooner because they're cooped up in their homes and like haven't talked or touched another person. Yeah. When they finally do meet that person in a world where they might have waited like 10 dates, they're like, let's fucking go. Yeah. Um, but I think also, yeah, no, go ahead. Well, there's also an Erica, you were mentioning a friend with this mentality. Like if you're going to go inside with somebody, you might as well just... Well, well you're going to be right? sleeping with them. Yeah. You're yeah. not just like going inside a house to hang out and because like maybe watch a movie. That's not life at this at, point. At this point, you're making yourself really vulnerable by being in the same room as somebody. So you might as well just be completely vulnerable. Exactly. And I actually even had that feeling before COVID. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to someone's house right. unless I'm ready to sleep. Yeah. Because it's too, it's too tempting. You know, it's like the bed is right there. I mean, if you live in New York City, it's like, I see your bed the second <laughs> I walk, you know? <laughs> um, what's the deal with like masking? Are people, you know, going on walks masked and then having to take them off to kiss and have this be this like dramatic thing of like, now I'm going to take my mask off. Are people just ditching masks? What's happening? It's so funny. I just recorded like um, an intro to my episode this week talking about the mask thing. You have to bring the mask on the date. Like if you don't bring the mask, you're very disrespectful. But I think like if you are, you know, walking and distance, you don't have to wear the mask. I had a friend go on a date and she was like, we are both wearing masks and it was just too awkward. Like I just couldn't tell if he was hot and I'm never going on that again. So this is there a has concern. Some thoughts I, on this. I okay. have a concern. So I don't want to out my doctors, but I was seeing, I've been seeing some doctors lately for like my son hit his head, my this, that, the other. And I was like, all of them, I, no, they were all wearing masks. And I was like, God, all these doctors are so good looking. And then I would Google them to show my friends, like, look how hot this doctor was. And turned out they weren't actually that hot. It's just everybody's hotter with a mask on. They all had nice oh, eyes. <laughs> so you think people are hotter with a mask on? I do. I would argue the opposite. And we really? have a whole question on this. Um, okay. It seemed like these particular doctors, having seen the evidence, um, all were better above the nose than below the nose. Um, but it was a very small sample size of three <laughs> potentially hot doctors. And I also and, don't feel like doctors are just so hot right now in general. You know what? <laughs> I fair. never That's thought fair. about That's that. Fair. No, like wow, yes. What? Because like, like real superhero saving lives vibes. Yeah, <laughs> superhero saving lives. We're just like, oh, doctors, like. Yeah. Just people not- who know things, people who are experts, people who <laughs> believe in science. We yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, need to, we need to turn to them and like they need to guide us. And like, that's yeah. so hot. Like we're, we're nothing without our doctors right now. That might've been it. There was one where I like was texting friends being like, oh my God, you know, this from the waiting room being like, this doctor is super hot. And then they were like, send a pic. So I Googled and they were like, I mean, cute maybe, but not hot. So then I went in Instagram, found the mask sticker and mocked it up. So it looked like he was wearing a mask to demonstrate. And they were like, oh, now I get it. And I was like, yeah, exactly. The mask was screwing everything up. Um, all right. So we're getting all the rules. I want to, I don't want to take this to a dark place, but something that I've been impressed by in listening to your podcast, um, is your talking about 
unhealthy relationships and relationships that can get abusive. And obviously this is something that has become more of a problem in quarantine. We're seeing rises in domestic violence. And I'm just curious, um, to know sort of, is that something that you've always been talking about on the podcast? Is this something that you've wanted to bring awareness to now that this, that we're seeing, um, unfortunate trends in this direction? Yeah, I think, you know, this has unfortunately always been a part of when you talk about relationships, there's toxic relationships and people need to be aware of that. And there's so many different levels, like, you know, there's gaslighting and there are emotionally abusive relationships. And a lot of people aren't aware of the different types of abuse and therefore aren't aware that they might be in an abusive relationship. And you know, I have spoken about my own experiences and I've, you know, I've never been in a physically abusive relationship, but I have definitely been in emotionally abusive ones and toxic ones. And it was so important to me to bring on a few different guests who can share those stories, you know, especially the ones that I couldn't share and just show people that it's not just like one stereotype of person who gets abused. Like it could be anyone. And, um, the, and like what the signs are to look out for, you know, I had one guest share that and like, this is so minor, but it it is very major when it, it comes to like red flags is like he, you know, her boyfriend would like yell really crazy things in traffic and like be like really aggressive about those. And like these like sides of him would come out that she never saw. And then like, you know, time passed and other things came up. The walls came down. Yeah. The walls came down. Or just like the way that they speak to you. I think a lot of it is like, you know, their relationship they have with their mother or like the women in their lives. You know, if they don't have any female friends, like why, you know, things like that, like that you just really need to look out for and be careful about. And, um, and it's really scary. I'm so glad you, you highlighted specifically non-physical forms of abuse because I also, one of my like first serious relationships was so toxic and so emotionally abusive. And I, of course, had heard of emotional abuse, but I think just wasn't fully aware of of what was going on when it was happening until it was, you know, much later than I would have liked. And I've been so impressed recently how that conversation has evolved. And I think people are just talking about it so much more as a as a form of abuse in a way that I would have benefited from so much when I was younger and that I'm glad people like you were talking about. I was in a high school for a program I was doing and I noticed they even had a poster on the wall that illustrated basically like abusive texts from a, yes. from a boyfriend. And it was like, you know, in this imaginary scenario, the boyfriend was getting pissed that the girlfriend wasn't texting him back quickly enough. And I was like, wow, this is on the wall of a high school, like 16 year olds are going to recognize that it's not okay for your boyfriend to get pissed because you didn't pick up the phone right away. Um, and I'm so glad that these conversations are becoming part of the norm. Yeah, no, that's so amazing that they're doing that. Like people don't realize those little like micro aggressions when it Mm -hmm. comes to abuse. Um, I haven't read or seen as much about it during this time, but I imagine it's happening, but just financial abuse too. And people withholding resources, especially as, you know, maybe one, one member of a couple doesn't have a job or doesn't have a salary coming in. Um, and that being used to be, you know, a domineering and power playing move as well. Um, I mean, even just like 
when you've been dating someone for a year and you still don't know how much they make, like a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's like so normal. Like I would never ask them that's like violating. But it's like, if you, at least for me, like I'm about to be 30. It's like if you're in a relationship in your almost 30s or like that could potentially lead to marriage and you don't know things like that about your partner, that's not, I I wouldn't say that that's abusive, but it's like, why? Well, it's a true lack of transparency for sure. Exactly. And it's like, if they know things about you, like for example, they know how much money you make, but they won't tell you how much money they make. Like that's unfair. And that's not okay. Yeah. 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 You mentioned earlier that at the beginning of uh, quarantine, you were doing some matchmaking. What did that look like? And how are you thinking about it? Yeah. So I'm really into Zodiac and astrology. So I use a little bit of astrology and I also, um, you know, I ask people for their preferences. So like, for example, you know, if there's a Catholic guy and he needs a Catholic girl or things like that. And I try to honor those because you know how people can be. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, I also just kind of like was, I was eyeballing it and I was doing like shared interests and like a few matches are actually dating now. I wouldn't say it was like very hit or miss because I was just like, this is a fun project. I'm not a matchmaker. Like I have no skill set. Um, but I was like, this is a fun project. You never know. I actually, I have set up a couple that's, that's getting married. So I was like, (gasps) wow. Maybe that's my resume and like, maybe I could do this. And um, a few couples came out of it. And so I just, um, I would send them an email like to, I, I have a spreadsheet that you okay. can literally 600 men and women, <gasps> their age, their height, their How do you know it's pretty official? It's very official. So I would send them an email, like both of them, like, like Henry meet Jane, Jane meet Henry, or like Henry mm-hmm. John. and um, and then they would take it from there and like virtually date and then, you know, maybe in-person date if they were in the same place. I'm so impressed. We both are aspiring matchmakers with, but we don't have a spreadsheet. Well, we yeah. also have bad track records. You had one, right, Erica? Did you have a good one? Of course. Um, oh, right. That, well, it was a hinge I didn't match. actually do anything, Lindsay. So basically, right. um, I was the couple's hinge connection. Um, oh, I mean, then you are their matchmaker. And also, if they don't want to say that they met on Hinge, then you really are their matchmaker. And That's they really true. come from such different pockets and corners of my life that when they they were like, wait, how do you know this person? How do you know this person? It wasn't like I went to high school with them or anything like that. Um, You're yeah. truly responsible for their connection, for their, truly responsible. For their love. Yeah. Well, you, are. you are because some people wouldn't go out with someone that they didn't have a mutual friend with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Can we talk about the apps for a minute? Um, and just, can you kind of give us a rundown of what they are each for at this point or who's using them basically? And then we need to know as women in our mid to late thirties who, who have single friends in our mid to late thirties, what apps should we be telling them to use? Okay. <laughs> That's what we thought. For marriage and for okay. serious people. Bumble is for lazy guys. Uh, <laughs> I would say OkCupid is for a little bit of older, mm-hmm. um, but still wonderful people. Um, <laughs> Coffee meets Bingle is like for, um, I would say, a more intellectual person. Mm. 
but not necessarily, you know, that's obviously not a bad thing. Tinder's for sex. Okay. But also for love, because I say this because I had a friend who met someone on Tinder and they got married. Okay. So Tinder's for sex that turns into love, which is okay. rare, but happens. Okay. And um, am I forgetting any? What about Raya, like Raya and the League oh, and like those uh, niche ones? Okay. Raya is for people who care about their Instagram following. Okay. Okay. Maybe and, it's not like to some people, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I get the sense that there's no longer a distinction on the dating apps between like heterosexuals and gays, lesbians, whatever. Or are there still like, if I'm a gay man, do I still want to go to a one that's specifically for gay men? Oh, if you're gay, you should be on Grinder, but you can okay. all hinge, you know? Okay. So there are plenty. There's plenty of gay representation on oh, things like sure. Hinge and Tinder. You can okay. be on any on any app if you're gay. Except I don't know what happens on Bumble if you're a gay man. Like I just don't. No know. talking, I guess. Yes, Gay women be on Bumble. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and the league is for I would say like if you like would send your kid to boarding school, you should. Okay. Be league. <laughs> that this was really good. helpful. Yeah, this that feels was like the, the incredibly informative and servicey. We should charge for access to just that that section <laughs> of this interview. <laughs> um, Lindsay, how has hosting your podcast about dating shaped your perspective on relationships? It has been so helpful and so eye opening. I have learned so much. I mean, I've, I've been doing this for three years, which is insane to me, and. I learned so much from each and every guest that I have on, and I still quote them to this day. Um, and I really love guests who are very polarizing and guests that I disagree with. So start thinking of something that we can disagree about. Perfect. <laughs> um, and I just love like having these debates and coming up, like out on the other side, knowing more about someone else's perspective on dating. Um, you know, I'm a little bit traditional in my in my rules and the way that I date, and so when someone tells me, when someone either is even more traditional than me or tells me like, that's ridiculous. And, and a lot of like Gen Zers will message me and be like, you're too traditional. And I'll be like, <laughs> let's like talk it out. Like, so why do you think that you should be asking the guy out? Like, has that actually worked for you? Or are you like 21 and in college? So it doesn't matter. You know, like, <laughs> like we have these debates and it just learn a lot. <laughs> Speaking of polarizing figures, you had Kristen Doty from Vanderpump Rules on, which really uh, spoke to me as a huge Vanderpump fan. Um, I was really impressed with how sympathetic you were to her. I do not find her to be such a sympathetic character. I hear you. Um, you know, I did not expect myself to be so sympathetic, but mm -hmm. she was very well spoken. It seemed like she had done a lot of like inner work. For sure. I'm a huge proponent of therapy and she, you know, seemed to be speaking from like a therapy, a therapeutic, you know, highly therapized. Exactly. She's <laughs> therapized. And, and listen, I don't like girl drama. So like if someone is being ganged up on by two girls, like fuck that shit, you know? True. true. No, no, you can't defend anybody in, in the fight between Stassi, Katie and Kristen. There's nobody to root for. Lindsay, what are the questions that your listeners come back to you with over and over again? What are the things they're asking about? The first one that always, always, always comes to me is how do I get this person to define our relationship? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, should I, when should I ask, what are we? 
And I always say never and don't, um, because I really believe that it's something that should happen naturally. And that at least for me, like, because it's mostly women um, that ask me these questions, it's like, I don't want to be that kind of woman who gives someone an ultimatum. Like, that's just not who I want to be. I don't know. Maybe it's something that they want to be. But for me, it's never worked out. Like when someone, I remember a guy said to me once in college, like, what are we? Like, are we moving in the direction of like boyfriend and girlfriend? And I actually liked him before that. But I was so <laughs> turned off by like his insecurity about what we were that I was like, we're done. Nah. We it's so funny that you bring this up because there is an iconic piece of advice that I received from a friend of of mine and Erica's, who is the last person on earth anybody should ever ask for advice. I don't... The last time dating he advice. was... Yeah. For, yeah, for dating advice. I was dating a guy and it was like not going well and he wasn't committing, but it was like, you know, the, the typical. And I asked our friend, Adam, I said, you know, like, how should I approach this? How should I get him to like, you know, define the relationship? And he said, don't go as long as you possibly can without having that conversation and then go twice as long. And he was like, because at that point, if it's still going on, he's going to be so into you that it like won't matter. And like he, he will be at that point in. Um, but yeah, just go as long as you possibly can and then wait and then go twice that long. And that's the advice I give everybody now too. I agree. But I will say a caveat to that is like, if you are getting what you... Yeah. Deserve other relationships. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. For Not sure. if you're feeling like you're being strung along or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Lindsay, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. We loved having you. For so much more where this came from, check out We Met at Acme. Um, yeah, that's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com. 